Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B podcast. I'm Alex from Xgrowth. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures, or as we like to call them, hard-learned lessons. If you enjoy the episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share the pod with a friend you think could get value out of it. And of course, make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. That's enough from me though, let's dive right in. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hother with Xgrowth and today I'm talking to Rory Boyle, Managing Director at Hampers with Bite, which was recently acquired by Pentel after running for 17 years. Now I'm also super excited to talk to Rory. I'm a customer of Hampers with Bite and just made an order last week. And today with Rory, we're discussing how to measure and budget sales and marketing activities as a B2B founder. It's a it's a tricky thing, especially a lot of founders might not have that sales and marketing background. And, and especially when it comes to budgeting, there is a fair bit of learning to, uh, to go through. So I'm super excited to talk to Rory. Rory, thanks for joining us. Yep, no problems at all. I'm glad to be here. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. So, I mean, I uh, let's let's start with with this whole concept of budgeting. But uh, before getting into the nitty gritty and the details, when did you kind of start to realize you need to mature the way you approach sales and marketing? And you know, what kind of what what was the trigger point? Yeah, if I go back sort of three to four years ago, maybe four years ago. I mean, we went from turning over sort of five, six million dollars, that sort of mark, and we plateaued at that point for a little while. I'd started to invest, invest a little bit more in some self-education and, and really took business a lot seri- more, more seriously. And and we and within that sort of four-year period, we're up to, I think, around 28 million last year. And so I'd say it's been a, a, an incline, a, 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 a gradual incline, particularly over the last four years on really sort of Getting deep with my metrics, taking a, a more a more micro approach to decision making that I was, as opposed to just sort of blindly chasing revenue, which was one of the greatest mistakes I made early on in my career. Got it, got it. Well, I, I definitely want to jump in and talk about some of those uh, some some of the ways that you did uh, do self education. But let's talk about the budgeting, right? So how how do you budget your sales and marketing activities right now? How is your how does your approach look like? Yeah, so. If you look at what I'm doing at the moment, let's say um, being a hamper company leading up to Christmas, let's isolate the sort of three-month period between now and and, and you know, from September to Christmas, which is a really busy period for a gifting company. We'll have a fixed inventory of stock and invariably fixed inventory of hours. So we work back from there. So we say, okay, you know, we, we might have a target to do, you know, 35 million, say, over the period or 30 million, whatever it might be. And, and we look at that and we say, okay, well, what GP can we make work? You know, what, what, what's the historic data telling us? What, what's, what can we charge? What are labor costs going to be? What are the incidentals? What are the wages? All those sorts of things. And we start to look at, okay, what profit's appropriate to be achieving from this turnover? And that's when we really start to look at advertising and, 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 and sort of sit there and say, okay, what percentage of advertising is an appropriate amount to be investing in reaching this target whilst remaining profitable? So I have a spreadsheet that I run on a weekly basis and uh, and each week I have a nominated amount in which I'm able to purchase in, in advertising. So how I work it really is what percentage can I afford to be spending in cents in a dollar for buying opportunities and, and still re- remain profitable and grow and scale. 
So that's a really interesting approach. And, and I feel like an approach that a lot of marketers might either don't take or they can't take because you said that you start from profit. So you look at the profit that this company make, the company's making or is going to potentially make or what you're targeting for the company to make. And then based on that, see how much money is is kind of left and allowed for marketing. Is that is that right? Yeah, I mean, look, generally when you you look at the key metrics of running any business, um, doesn't matter what it is, you're going to have, you know, your, your fixed costs, you're going to have a GP, which is a variable, you have your labours, your labour, which is a variable, and we, we all want to increase our GP and profit and average order value and all those sorts of things, but there's generally a market cap or, you know, there's some sort of set of limitations in which we're all faced with in business that we can't just infinitely grow our GP and profit. So we have to say, look, realistically, this is what I can make from this product. This is what I can sell it for. This is the profit I can make out of it. And then we, you have to work backwards from that point, I think. You can't sort of start sort of saying, listen, I'm going to spend this amount of money without understanding, okay, what, it, what's, what's, what, does it, what does it mean if I get past 7 to 8% in, in, in revenue in, in advertising dollars? Because unless you understand that, then invariably you may increase in revenue exponentially. But you're not going to make your profit. And if you're there for profit, or even if you're there for scale, you still have to understand what an appropriate investment in a dollar is for advertising. Um, I don't think there's any other way around it, to be honest. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you touched on it here, right? You touched on some of the key metrics that are very important from your perspective. What are some of the key metrics that you look at from a marketing perspective on a regular basis? Yeah, so this look, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, there's the ROAS figure. So, look, we're looking at when we're marketing, we're looking at, you know, we're returning on advertising spend. But um, I also, when I'm working with my media buyers um, and on media buying, I, I, want, I, I want to be really careful that we don't get too focused on ROAS and forget scale because invariably there'll be opportunities for ROAS. So, you know, there's some really low funnel opportunities out there that we can buy as a B2B marketer. Let's say for me, gift hampers, Melbourne, uh, next day delivery, right? Okay, you know, that is a low funnel activity. We're going to have a really high uh, return on advertising spend for that and a great conversion rate. But we're going to be limited by scale, aren't we? So we're going to have to look, start looking up the funnel if we want to grow the company and, and start looking at more generic terms like maybe gift hampers or maybe a little bit more generic sort of gift ideas and uh, gift for him and her and make the right appropriate decisions based on the ROAS of those terms versus the scale that I can get in the growth that I need to grow the company. But then the, like the, the fundamental one to go back after we've done all of that is the, the LTV. So um, understanding every time I win an acquisition, even if I'm breaking even at the, at the start of that, that acquisition, what the lifetime value of that customer is. Without understanding the lifetime value of my customer, I cannot make it, I, I can't spend money on advertising because I don't know what a lead's worth. I know what it's maybe worth on a first transaction, but if, if I don't understand what it's worth on a second, third and fourth transaction with that opportunity, then you, you're limiting yourself to only being able to to spend what the first transaction's worth, which you know you can be really handicapping scale and growth by doing that. Very interesting. So you you you've sat down and, and calculated the LTV of of uh, you know an average customer and a lot of your marketing spend and and uh, and the dollars that you put into the marketing bucket are are driven by that. Is that is that right? Correct. So every customer that I acquire, I have an attributed LTV. And that's based on, on averages over a number of years. You know, you could basically divide revenue by invoices if you want a really simplistic way to look at it. And it's not very hard. You could take out a few outliers, liars, you know, really big contracts you might have taken on to take out some of that. But in a sim pretty simple way, that's it. So 
Then we had, we start to say, okay, in a two-year period, I'd like to keep it within sort of two to three-year period because we don't know, like the, the world moves pretty fast as we've seen. So I don't like to sort of be looking at for anything past two to three years in terms of LTV for a customer because you never know what's going to happen. But in that in that sort of window, I'm happy to sort of say, okay, this is what this customer is potentially worth. So potentially in a first sale, I'm, it might be appropriate for me to, to only make a certain amount of money in profit, but knowing that I'm consistently getting the two and a half times purchase from this customer means on a second and, and, and the next one and a half uh, purchases on average I get from the customer, I'm maximizing, I'm making 100% profit and it's worthwhile. That's That sounds great, Ori. I mean, it, it, there's very clearly a lot of uh, depth to, uh, to the metrics that you look at. Do you look at anything differently from a sales perspective? And when we talked about marketing uh, metrics, do you look at anything from a sales perspective or really you look at the sales and marketing in one bucket and, and the metrics really correspond to all of them? No, no, no. I have a separate spreadsheet or an analysis on a weekly basis that I run for sales. So I guess there's four variances. I, I use a year-on-year comparison. Let's use an example leading up to, you know, in the month retrospectively in the month of September. I'll have an analysis on the amount of new customers in revenue that I brought on over that month and, in, and the amount of existing customers in revenue that I brought up in that month and have a variance compared to the year previous. I then like to break it down by invoices as well because revenue can can be deceiving. You know, you, you, one week can be inflated by a couple of really large orders from um, from some existing customers, for example, and give you a, a misconception of how you how well you're doing and getting your existing customers re-engaged. So I break it down by invoice as well. So I'll have a comparison, sort of want to see, you know, we, you know, we might be 60% up on invoices for existing customers and, and 80% up on revenue. We might be 30% up on new customers versus the year previous and, and 20% on on invoices, but I think it's good to have that really that sense check. I have a weekly variance for retrospective periods, along with variance on forecasted figures, and you know my decision making's made from there. And yeah, look, we and we review those. And I invariably review those details daily, but I, I don't recommend sort of looking at it daily. I think weekly's um, weekly's enough. Otherwise, you can get analysis paralysis. Right. So you so you look at your numbers every week. You sell as a marketing numbers. You review them every week. Is there is there are there different metrics that you would look at over a longer period of time compared to what you look at on a, on a weekly basis? Yeah, I mean, you know, financial year obviously financial year analysis is really important, and I look at sort of a six month uh, analysis. But I write a formal report up to the the heads of my team every Monday morning with what I've seen in all our reports. I like to put it in writing. They don't necessarily, a lot of people don't reply and there's a lot of words there and and my thoughts and feelings. I put some comments on how I think we're tracking, what I feel the themes are, what I'm seeing and not seeing. It's a good exercise for me to be able to articulate it to my team, but also just articulate it for myself and really understands what um, what I'm doing and really get in that that rhythm but yeah for me has to be at least on a a weekly basis and i have a a spreadsheet we have a a green block our team has a um traffic light spreadsheet with uh, metrics on it that is filled in on a weekly basis and there's a target for example railways figure that needs to be achieved each that we have a target to achieve so in each week i need to sort of go in there and put a number in and it's rather green yellow or or red so Hmm. you know you're getting that that check every week so yeah a week maximum in terms of an analysis. Got it. Have you, you know, have you done this kind of on, on your own or have you brought uh, external help? Uh, how, how have you found the process of kind of developing this, this system 
Uh, was that was that all on your own, or or there were like agencies that you got involved? How does that how does that look like? Yeah, and no, look to be honest. I brought it to the agency, this approach. Well, one of the other things in terms of the sort of the media buying advertising that I also do to beat it with B2B is I mentioned earlier that we, we sort of, we actually, um, you know, we're forecasting every week what percentage in a dollar we can spend. But I also have a bank mechanism that I build in there as well. And basically what that is, is if we're ahead of budget, say I budgeted eight, to spend 8% of, you know, a million dollars, let's say, and it's eighty thousand dollars of revenue of 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 bank to spend in a dollar. Uh, we we get there by spending six point five percent, sixty five thousand dollars. Well, then I'll, I'll create a banked column. So then we've we've got a banked fifteen thousand dollars. Now, bank column means that we can reinvest at a at another time. Um, so it's money up our sleeve in terms of advertising. Now you can take it away as profit or do whatever you want with it. But I like to have a banked make it, uh, a banked column there, so I can know if I am running ahead it, that that money's there and, mm. and in a tougher times more competition i can reinvest it i brought this to my marketing agency we i i, I meet with them i sorry my my adwords media buyer i've got an in-house facebook buyer and i do my own linkedin advertising but i brought them to this to them to keep them 100 accountable and they're really good at what they do but uh it makes it really clear for them and and it means that it's cutting through the noise for these guys to, to have to sort of, that they're dealing with with a lot of other clients working off this model and we can really get dive deep on, on what success looks like because they know what they need to achieve. We can, uh, and and it's, it's the best way for a really good relationship. Everybody knows what success looks like, but it's not a model I picked up off anyone else. I guess it's just been built on mistakes that have been made over the years and, and ways I think I can improve them. Mistakes. Great, great segue into talking about mistakes. What have been some of the big mistakes that you have experienced or you've you've made in this process of getting to this level that you are today? What comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, when I when I sort of talk about those numbers of where we were four years ago, and I say, well, look, we've been in business for seventeen years. Don't have to be a brain surgeon to work out that that there's been some wasted years and wasted opportunities. Look, for me, not understanding the correlation between profit and revenue, not properly understanding my numbers and metrics. That that's probably the biggest one is is chasing growth with it without having a clear eye on a bottom line, not actually budgeting appropriately for periods, and not actually breaking up our costs, not tracking what success looks like on a weekly basis. All of those things that I used to just sort of kind of feel, yeah, I feel like we're going okay, and it's kind of gut instinct stuff. It cost me a lot of years, a lot of money. A lot of success mm. and that's what i've learned from and then just like when you realize that you spent five years or six years just running on a spot in a lot of regards while other others you know your, your competitors and so on and other people in the industry grew then you, you realize you've wasted that time and the mistakes that you made have cost you that it really incentivized you to get it right and to really implement you know systems and and and, and processes like this in place to ensure that you know you don't waste any more years not waste any more weeks because it, that sucks that makes sense. It does make sense, and I, 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 uh, I know in in the business community and the founder founder community, this is a big thing. When you look at a competitor, just like you said, and they're like, "Oh wow, when did they start? What was the start date? You know, how many employees did they have now? How many employees did they have before?" And uh, and doing those comparisons can be can be paralyzing, but also uh, it it definitely tells you that there are areas that you could do better and. And increase the the hustle. Obviously, you don't see the the full picture, but I know that the comparison game is strong in the founder community. 
It is, yeah. It, look, it is, and one of the one of the biggest tricks there where you can get lost is this is tracking revenue. You get some somebody gets interviewed and they say we're turning over forty million years ago. The turnover forty million, and you make a presumption of what the profit's going to be. That can be misleading, you know. Or you can underestimate a competitor who, who might be turning over a hell of a lot less, but it's making some really good profit. And you know, you sometimes hear these things through the grapevine. Maybe a company goes public and the numbers are released, and there can be a bit of a revelation mm. as to what what is possible in your market as well. But yeah, I think that, that like those top line figures of you know revenues, vanity, uh, net profit, sanity is is pretty true. A lot of people like to talk about revenue figures, but. Unless you're making a profit from it, it, it doesn't mean a hell of a lot. And, and having gone through a recent acquisition who were, uh, with the company approaching us, certainly profit and EBIT is, is the biggest driver to, to a sale price. Those are the numbers that everybody look at. Yeah, very Correct. true. Yeah, in the end of the day. In the end of the day, when you sit down at the end, uh, with, and, and heaps of founders can probably relate to this, and they say, okay, I've had an awesome, you have a great year, we grew 30% in revenue, and then you sit down at the end of the financial year with your accountant or financial advisor and actually get an under, get a look at what that bottom line figure is, and, and when it's not what you hoped it was going to be, you just you pretty soon forget the revenue, because all you think about really, all that matters is the profit you're taking away from the business. I mean, obviously, it depends on your strategy, if you're looking for scale or whatever it is, but you know, that that's a feeling. I've, I've sat in that accountant's room many, uh, many a time and been underwhelmed by what, what number I saw at the bottom and I soon forgot what the revenue figure was. It, it, it's, it could be very Cuts. deflating uh, experience. It is. Yeah. Uh, when, yeah, it uh, sucks. When, you know, you feel like you've done amazing and the accountant is like, you're going to go out of business if you keep doing this in the next six months. And, and, and that's what's, that, that's the danger as well is when, you, when you're waiting to the end of the financial year to understand what your numbers are or when you, like, you, you know, you, you're getting advice you know, maybe once or twice a year and you're not getting the opportunity, you realize Fuck, that's, that's, a, that's a year wasted or it's six months wasted. Had I been on top of this cost or this cost or understanding this earlier, I'd be in a different position and let it get away from me. And that's why I just bring us back to the metrics and why it's so important getting a live snapshot of where you are. So you know before you go and sit down with that account exactly what you're coming out with. You know you know, you know know what your GPs are, you know what your, your, your ROAS figures are, growth numbers that, are, that have been made profitably and all that sort of stuff. So you don't have to have that moment when you, you say to your accountant, did you get it right? This is messed up and you count it again. And that's, I've done that. I've done that a couple of times, yeah. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. We touched a lot on a lot of mistakes and things that, uh, that, that you've changed. You know, if you go back, how would you do things differently? How would you, uh, and, and, you know, we've, we've, as I said, we've covered a lot of things, but, you know, is there something else or, or uh, is there something that comes to mind in terms of if you go back, let's say, let's say in four years ago, so I'm talking about when you decided to change things. Right when you um, when when you really made the decision that you need to grow faster or or grow more profitable, if you go to the beginning of that period, how would you do things differently leading up to today? Look, I think what I would have done, what I would have done differently a lot earlier was isolating what I was good at and what I wasn't good at, and be willing to invest in bringing in people to address my weaknesses. So that might be a VCFO. Because you know, I have a, I have a, I wouldn't say elementary understanding of reading a PNL. I can read a PNL, but in terms of accounting and, and internal number analysis, it, it's not a strength. So, doing that sort of stuff without the proper advice, help, um, bringing a really great creative team um, instead of sort of trying to running lean in that department to save costs. Um, 
Focusing on what I do best or what you do best, I think is the key. That that's that's what I should have been doing at the start. Just focusing on that area that that you know the real USP that you bring to your business. Like for me, it's, if I'm going to start up a company, it's always you always look and say, okay, what's my unfair advantage with everything? It's us. What's my unfair advantage? It probably retrospectively took too too long for me to spend 100 percent of my time on my unfair advantage and stuff that I'm actually quite good at, instead of uh, spending 40 percent of the time on. You know, dealing with sales inquiries where I did, where that time would have been better spent working on the business instead of in it, in it and and just chasing revenue and they're the things retrospectively that are that would really change the course of, of the growth of the company a lot earlier. Mm, so so does that mean like you were kind of I can't find a better word but like half-assing it in terms of bringing a CFO or you know a creative team is that like you were saying oh I'm gonna save some cost here. I won't I won't invest too much. Like what was what was that mentality? Like what were you telling yourself that you right now say you you were focusing on your weaknesses? Well, I think I was letting fear get in the way of my decision making and anxiety get in the way of decision making. Taking on a full-time hire, you know, again a killer marketing manager as opposed to an intern or maybe a great brand manager spring actually going out there and saying, listen, I'm committing to, to this wage. And it's scary when you have to do that, you know, because you're thinking, okay, we're gonna have to bring in this much money and this much more money to pay for this resource and then this much more to be profitable from it. So I probably spent a lot of time letting anxiety and, and hesitation get in the way of my decision making and not making the right decisions because I was scared that, you know, I was going to take on these highs or bring on the, the, this this staff that were going to, I don't know, I wasn't going to be able to feel what I promised to them bringing them over and maybe a, and, and a concern I was going to be able to absorb their costs. And mm. I think probably that, yeah, I think that that's, I don't think it was half-assed. I think it was a real hesitation to take, real risks when really when you look at it it's, it's not actually that big a risk you don't you take on a wage you don't pay their first the whole year salary in the first week you know that's the reality of it and someone once told me that and it was a bit of a revelation to me when i really <laughs> thought about that um, you know it's like there is some margin for error there if it doesn't work out so so yeah, it's very true it's it's hard uh, i i've definitely been in that situation where you're like oh my god you know hiring this person would it work what will happen if it doesn't work how how have you kind of developed your own capability to be able to take more risk and not be kind of paralyzed by by the uh, the the fear of this might not work out and therefore let's just keep quiet? You know, have you have you figured anything out to uh, combat that? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, there's two sides of it. I don't want to keep going back to the well on this, but properly understanding numbers and metrics and what success and failure looks like is a great way to sort of be assured of your decision making and be assured of what you can reinvest and you can't. Understanding uh, your numbers is the number one uh, assurance tool there and that's what helps you sleep at night. But then on an emotional level, because um, we're all human beings and the, the, the concept of taking risk, I reckon probably probably for me, once I sort of got my roots down, bought a house, you know, got to put a bit of a dent in the mortgage, I sort of says, okay, look, Let's have a bit more of a crack here, you know. Like, like, like am I going to make this work or not? I guess there's that, that's probably that feeling as well. Probably moving from this kind of. I've got three kids now, so moving from the the social years and really sort of saying, okay, well, I really want to make a career out of this and and, and be more business focused as well. They, they, I guess they're probably the emotional aspects of of my decision making that helped me sort of get there. Yeah, got it. Got it. Rory, at the beginning of our conversation, and this is the, the question I want to ask before we jump into rapid uh, rapid fire questions. At the beginning of the conversation, you said, you know, you did, you did a lot of self-education and basically upskilling yourself. 
how did you go do about how did you go doing that you know what was kind of the resources that uh, that you relied on heavily does anything come to mind yeah 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 definitely uh so right on four years ago christmas after christmas i got on a plane i reached out to so i reached out to the owner i tried identified the most successful gift hamper company in the us and the most successful gift hamper company in the uk and i thought I'm just going to go and, and I, I got in touch with them. So listen, I want to meet up. I didn't want to sound too desperate and say, listen, I'm flying to UK and US just to meet you. So I was like, I'm going to be in the UK. Can I meet you? Uh, and in that, you know, they both said yes. And they were both, you know, really willing to do it. Um, one of them was based out of out of uh, Portland and in the US. And they're a really, really big company. And, and look, I flew all the way to there to, for two and a half hours of discussion. And we kept in touch, but it just... You know, it wasn't, we didn't really, I mean, it certainly wasn't really worth the investment of time or, or effort. But when I went to the UK, the gentleman that I met there from a company, and, I, and I'll gladly name them, Virginia Hayward, a man called Sam Hayward, best hamper company in the world, I think, to do amazing things. And he, like, really embraced me that day. He, he look, he, he moved me from department to department, then showed me what they got, because they, they worked on a much larger scale than we do from department to department on how they do things, what they do, how they measure, the, how they measured their metrics and their finance, uh, for their advertising was remarkable. They, they literally had a 25-page report on, on each campaign in a binder presented on a monthly basis. It's just brilliant. So, yeah, that self-education was probably going out there and seeing people in parallel industries that were never going to be competition. I was never looking to move to the UK and, and, and they understood that and they had no interest in moving to Australia and sort of trying to share share notes i guess and i've done that i had a, a company from new zealand contact me recently who who was doing the same thing with us and and i've learned stuff from him and, and he's left stuff from me so i think sharing ideas with people from parallel industries is is pretty powerful yeah that's amazing so you flew to the u.s for a two and a half hour meeting and, yeah and I'd i spent two it. days i got there two days <laughs> early to i just want to be sharp you know i want to be sharp so i didn't want to like just so I stayed there two hours. I'm revving up for this meeting. I turned up and I didn't know what was going to happen. I was really hoping that, you know, I was going to be able to spend some time with them and they were going to, but they were really, look, and quite rightly, they were pretty uh, protective of their intellectual property. And, and it was invariably, they probably had some suspicions that, of what my motives were. Maybe, I'm not sure. Um, so that was all very superficial. But it is what it is. You, you know, you win some, but the second one, there's some real trust involved and, you know, since then we've met up in China to, with our buying when we've gone to fairs for, for stock buying and we're in touch regularly and it was super valuable for me having that UK relationship, especially when COVID hit because they were kind of like a month or a month and a half ahead of the curve versus Australia in terms of how COVID was affecting the gifty market, the society, the economy. So straight up, I was on the phone to him saying, what's happening in the UK? And working on a presumption, we're gonna see really similar things here. And we did. And it was incredibly valuable to have somebody in my industry doing exactly what I do, giving me a month's worth of notice on what's happening for them. And that was a huge demand in gifting because they went into lockdown and online just exploded. Um, helped me with my buy-in and, you know, that decision just to go and see him is paid a tenfold. Wow. Um, so taking a chance at just doing something out there, you know, was it's worthwhile. I love it. I love it. That is such a great story, Rory. I, uh, I absolutely <laughs> love that. Um, okay. Now, before I, I want to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions, but before I do that, 
you know, is there anything else that you think I didn't ask or you think is worth covering with regards to budgeting for marketing and sales? I'll tell you what I love. I tell you what's incredibly valuable and something I've never really... Look, I'm big on digital advertising. I'm, I'm probably not, you know, when it comes to sort of... And that's because my AOV, you know, maybe it might be $3,000 mark. It's not sort of $30,000, $40,000 mark. Um, average order value, that is. Um, that I, I steer away from things like billboards, newspapers and magazines, traditional forms of marketing, radio. I, I just... I, that, that doesn't make sense to me. But what I love, I think, is a bit of a hack that people kind of avoid is remarketing. Remarketing... If you you could have a look, whether it be on Facebook or whether it be on uh, Google, and you look at like your costs per per impression for remarketing, and you can, you can get you know your if someone visits your site or uh, and and you can get in front of of an audience of thousands, tens of thousands for five hundred bucks, six hundred bucks, and, and they're like one click away from coming to your website. And I see businesses spending like thirty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars on a billboard that you drive them past at hundred k's an hour, and and you don't get to just like touch and 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 jump straight into the site and get ready to purchase. I, I think that that the concept of remarketing being like a, a billboard and and you and take that and treat it like that and have really cheap access to a billboard is uh, is a great approach um, and and that's why I'm really big on I'm remarketing remarketing and retargeting I love that yeah I love that I, I, I totally agree with you that I think it's you're right it's very cheap but it's very high intent individuals that you could retarget and they've looked at you already there is some interest there and and you could you could target them at a very low price so i uh, mm-hmm. i love that i love that okay let's do some rapid fire questions the first one i want to ask you is what is one resource it could be a book a blog a podcast a talk whatever it is that has fundamentally changed the way you work or live kevin kd dorsey on linkedin out of the u.s best b2b marketer salesperson i've ever come across employed him as a mentor for three to four months and we revolutionized the way i think and approach business and sales and marketing uh linkedin kd dorsey or kevin dorsey his name is look him up all right we'll uh, we'll definitely do that thank you very much for that so question number two if you could give one piece of advice to b2b marketers what would it be yeah, don't get on the paid advertising crack pipe. You know, don't get on that Google AdWords crack pipe. How do you do that? Lifetime value of your customer. Like, if you start getting a situation where you know you, you're relying on on a cents and a dollar by buying every lead that you have, you haven't got a sustainable business. You you know you're you're addicted to to paid advertising. You have to make sure that your strategy of of, of winning leads is built around treating a customer like a uh, an acquisition, not a sale. And that acquisition is something you harness and, and, and garner more, more revenue from after you paid your initial uh, buying price. Got it, that's a great point. That's a great, it is very addictive, those, uh, those platforms, especially Google. Um, okay, question number three. What are the influencers that you follow in the, in the kind of B2B marketing and sales space? I've started to listen to Growth Colony, which has been great. I yeah, it's been really good. Some some just interesting people out of the out of out of the uh, the US generally on LinkedIn. You know, different people, subject matter experts on copywriting or you know B two B marketing or sales or media buying. You know, you'll hear you follow one and they'll invariably be in touch with another and another. So I think LinkedIn's a really good place to to follow. It is. No, I do agree. And, and, and we've we found amazing people and amazing connections on LinkedIn as well. Last one is what is something that excites you about B2B today? Yeah, yeah. It's, I would tell you what I'm incredibly excited about 
P2B market more so than any other period in in the seven years I've been involved in it is that the deck has been completely shuffled from from COVID. The way businesses operate, run for businesses like you know if you look at employee wellness, what was traditionally you know, delivering fruit into offices and office supplies and 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 employee satisfaction that was done from the nine to five and 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 ways businesses really cement themselves over the years for for a lot of businesses okay that's that's off the table now and now businesses are looking at completely new ways to to do business or or recognize employees or whatever it might be and there's this opportunity for for startups or for businesses to jump into openings that you know the first one to to get in there and and to really consider this opportunity can make it big and some of the big boys that have just owned spaces well they've had to regress and 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 then you know it's it's there's so much opportunity. I'd say that that's what it is because everything's changed, and and now it's about picking the eyes out of where the opportunity is. So yeah, for me that that's it. This is a really great, and it's a great time to lose as well because if you're doing really well, if you continue to do things you always did, and the environment's changed, you can lose. But there's a great chance to win. So for me, it's exciting. It, it sounds like it sounds like another business idea coming up, Rory. That's what it sounds <laughs> like. <laughs> Maybe. No, it sounds good. <laughs> Look, this has been absolutely amazing. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think there are some r- real examples and, and, and uh, real life uh, stories there that uh, I think a lot of the listeners can take away and, and get inspired by. So I really appreciate you jumping on and, uh, and giving us your time. Matt, no worries. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Hicks. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing the pod with a friend. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please make sure to join the community Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks again for all the support. and We're looking forward to seeing you again in the next one.